Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash, and today we are talking about the vacancy tax. What's the vacancy tax? Well, in the city of Vancouver, which has some of the highest housing prices in all of North America, city officials were very concerned about the extreme shortage of housing, and number two, the number of foreign buyers that were buying up property and keeping them vacant. By some estimates, there were at least 25,000, maybe as many as 50,000 units that were being purchased by foreign investors and being kept vacant, taking housing stock out of the housing market for local residents. We are now one year into that process, and the results of that first year are finally in. Now, the way the government measures whether a property is vacant or not is by looking at the utilization of electricity over time. If a property is not exhibiting normal usage patterns, it is deemed to be vacant. And after year one, the city found 8,000 units were vacant over a 12-month period, or at least met their criteria for what they considered property to be vacant. Of those 8,000 units, over 5,500 were given an exemption, were not subject to the vacancy tax. That leaves about a little over 2,500 units that were actually assessed a vacancy tax. And of those, approximately 50% of them have challenged the tax and are appealing it. Now, there are several reasons why a property that is vacant may be considered exempt. Number one, if a property is actually under renovation, that property is simply not available for habitation. It would be unfair to tax a property as vacant while it's under renovation or construction. Number two, there are a number of condominium corporations that simply do not allow units to be rented out to tenants. They are only for owner-occupants. So you can't have it both ways. You can't ask people to adhere to the constitution of the condominium corporation and adhere to the no-vacancy rule that the cities impose. Cities all across North America that experience very high prices, a shortage of affordable housing, and a large influx of foreign population are watching what's happening in Vancouver very intently. I'm thinking of cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, and New York are all watching what's happening in Vancouver very closely. What's striking, though, is the significant mismatch between the original projections and the actual result only one year in. Politicians were throwing around inflammatory numbers like 25 to 50,000 vacant units that would appear back on the market as as a direct result of this measure. And one year in, we're seeing the vacancy tax being imposed on somewhere between 1,200 and 2,500 units. That's a far cry from the original projection. Some of those homes that are vacant are large, single-family homes that were purchased in the millions of dollars. In fact, the median sales price at the end of 2017 in Vancouver was $1.6 million. Houses that are selling at 2 to $3 million are simply not going to address Vancouver's housing shortage. Number one, there simply aren't enough of them. And number two, even if they came back on the market, the prices are not going to fall far enough or fast enough to make them affordable. This kind of government intervention is something that maybe captures some votes and captures attention because it's government looking out for the little guy when in fact, in reality and in practice, very little is being done to actually help those people who need housing and simply can't find it or can't afford it. The reason housing isn't available is because of very simple fundamental economic forces called supply and demand. Vancouver is a city that's geographically constrained. It's a waterfront city. There simply is not sufficient land to expand the city. And just like other geographically constrained cities like Manhattan or San Francisco, when demand exceeds supply, prices go up. And yes, in that environment, there are very few rental properties available. Why? Because the numbers don't make sense. Who's going to take a $1.6 million home and put it on the rental market for $2,000 a month? The numbers don't work. They're just completely out of whack. So when the government tries to regulate that and tries to somehow punish those big, bad, rich people that own these expensive houses, it has nothing to do with the houses themselves. 
the cost of construction is basically the same in Vancouver as it is anywhere else. It's the same as it is in Des Moines, Iowa. It's the cost of the underlying land that's making these houses so expensive. Governments often make a very misguided attempt to treat the symptoms. It's like if you went to the doctor and you said, doctor, I've got a headache. And then government steps in and says, well, we're going to solve your headache by putting a price cap on the price of aspirin. Well, the fact is that's not going to solve headaches because headaches are not caused by a deficiency of aspirin in the bloodstream. If government wants to create affordable housing, since government is the single largest landowner, they could make land available for development at a reasonable price, at a price that would make creation of affordable housing attractive to a developer whether the developer is a private enterprise or whether the developer is the government themselves. Or better still, how about one of those underfunded pension funds that is trying to find ways to make ends meet? What a novel idea. So if your local politicians are making noises about interfering with the free market, maybe get them a bottle of aspirin, perhaps even at a discount, and see if that solves their problem. In the meantime, have an awesome day. Make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. (laughs) 